I'm sorry for doubting how good the football playoffs are going to be. Oh, they're so good. I went into the weekend all complaining, like, why are all these games bad? <laughs> it's all big spreads, and who cares? It was like, Brock Purdy has become a superstar. Mm-hmm. We saw a 27-point blown lead by the Chargers. Woof. Which is just spectacular because <laughs> of the Chargers. Woof. Um, Chargers Mike McDaniel Charger. pushed the Bills to the brink. The yeah. Bills were up, what was it, 17 nothing? I think it was 17 nothing. And I actually thought that that would have been a far worse choke had they lost that game. Like, way worse than 27 points. To lose to Skylar Thompson? <laughs> when you have a 17-point lead at home? Not a Skylar been... Thompson believer, eh? Well, no. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, well, no. Uh, Danny Dimes, arguably future Hall of Famer now. Like, guy who... So, I have a lot of buddies who are Giants fans from that area. Um... Like, it, for, sorry, for, I should say from the New England area and mm-hmm. from, like, Connecticut. And there's just a lot of Giants fans. Yeah. And the swing from Daniel Jones to Danny Dimes in terms of <laughs> love and admiration and trust has been one of the most incredible things in my lifetime. It's almost more like Brock Purdy came out of nowhere and he's playing well in a good offense. Danny yeah. Dimes was hated by so many Giants fans. And now they're all there oh, like, yeah. we've always loved you, Dimes. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's always stuck by you. He is 100% going to paid. And then we end up with a 99-yard defensive touchdown after, I don't know, one of the worst play calls of the weekend. And then the, the Ravens just kind of immolating. Uh, yeah, it was spectacular. <laughs> like, this oh, yeah. was... This was so unbelievably good. Which what story did you guys think was the biggest of the weekend? Like what what did you think was your favorite game? Uh Trevor Lawrence's comeback, I think. I think yeah, from throwing was, four picks and being in the mud yep. and then turning that game around down twenty seven nothing for a sophomore quarterback. I know he's obviously not like a twenty one year old, but that's pretty tough. No, that's pretty tough in the playoffs to start a game like Hall of Fame bad. Yeah. And then be like, nah, like we're still in this. Simon. I think like I'm almost on the flip side of that one. Like my lasting memory of this weekend, two guys who absolutely cannot be back with their teams next year in Staley, who worst coaching job I've ever seen between playing players in a completely useless final week game to blowing that to Jacksonville, but also Kirk Cousins season on the line, <laughs> fourth and eight or whatever. We're yeah. throwing it like two yards. And past they throw the line three yards. Okay. How so- can either of these guys be back next year? And the fans be like, Oh cool. Kirk, we're running it back. Like yeah. it just, I don't know. I, I have never been a Cousins guy. No. In fact, I tweeted before the game that I was betting the Giants money line. And it was also quote tweeting because it was Kirk Cousins doing his choir performances. So I was like, he's, <laughs> of, he's uh, yeah, he's one of those guys that wears the like plaid collared shirt and yeah. tight khakis and yeah. sings on stage. That's yeah, Kirk yeah, yeah. He's, he's that kind of guy. He's, oh, no, he's not that kind of guy. He's, he's <laughs> he is that, that guy. guy. The he poster is child. He is yeah. that guy 100%. Um, are Kirk Cousins' stats every year pretty decent? Yeah. Um, do they do win I a couple that, games? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I, I actually don't blame that one on him, though. The, that the throw, final play? Yeah, okay. I tweeted about it, and I even said I buried him. I went, he revealed himself on the final play. Because who checks it down, right, on yeah. the final play of the game? This is exactly what uh, Austin's boy... Dobbins did a couple of weeks ago for the Titans, right? This is what you just cannot have. You got to throw beyond the Dobbs. sticks. Dobbs. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Dobbins. I got Dobbins on the brain. Look good, Dobbins. Except for then. We'll talk about this post game. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk anyway, about it. Anyway, uh, 
you got to throw past the sticks. But I actually saw a replay of it this morning. And that's why it's always just so good to, like, when you're the hardcore football people, yeah. to go over the tape. The all, <laughs> all 22. 22. Watch yeah, film. Exactly. The all 22. Sit down and watch the film. I this guy don't lie. Dexter Lawrence is right in his face as he's making that yeah. play. He is right there. There's just no... There's just no other read for him. Yeah, you he couldn't step it, up. That's right. Yeah, there's just nothing he could do, and so he had to just get rid of the ball, and that's the only option that was available to him. That, To me, the story of the Vikings was the story for them all season long, which is I actually think that they could have won with Kirk Cousins in that offense. Their defense was just so putrid. They could never get a stop. It was yeah. hilarious watching them in the first half. I, I kept going, do they think Danny... Like Daniel Jones can't, can't run, run. Can't run. Yeah, and no. that this is yeah. just some kind of a trick play that's working yeah. for them. No, the Vikings, uh, they're soft. Their yeah. defense is yeah. soft all year long. They had just essentially no playmakers. They had a little bit of a pass rush, but nothing really else. They're, mm-hmm. When your secondary is still Patrick Peterson in year 100, <laughs> it's just not – that's – it's not good. They're yeah. just full of guys. That's always what the Vikings are is yeah. some soft play. How many times – and that game could have gone away – had Slayton just caught that ball. Oh, my goodness. Like, yeah. Slayton's yeah. right across the middle, drops a drops wide-open ball that ends the game, seals the game. But that was it. It was either Jones or Saquon just carving them in the run game yep. or those receivers, Richie James yeah. and Slayton and yeah. the rest of the no-name squad. What's the other guy's name? Hodgins. Yeah, that's it. Hodgins. Yeah. The, the, old the Bills let him go. Yeah. What a receiver room. Just like yeah. guys. I actually kind of like Richie James. <laughs> sure. But I don't know if it's just because he looks cool and his name is Richie James. <laughs> Richie so James. Like, like I love saying it. So, it doesn't hurt. No, it doesn't hurt at all. But it, I, it, was, da- it was brutal to watch. Like It was in the first quarter when Daniel Jones just had like 40 rushing yards in one drive. Yeah. He just kept running but over that's what I'm saying. over again. They, they punted right at the beginning of the game. Yeah. And then essentially the rest of it, their offense looked great and the Vikings couldn't get a stop. So to me, that yeah. was the story is... Who, who can get a stop, right? Same thing with the Seahawks. Uh, like, all credit to Brock Purdy, but this is why I was rooting for the tank this year. I knew mm-hmm. that that defense was never going to be able to make a play. They have yeah. no pass rush, no playmakers. You're completely dead. Look, how did the how did the underdogs stay in it? They forced turnovers. They had defenses that made plays. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen kind of, like, gifted a couple of those. But yep. even still, if you think about the Dolphins, sack, fumble for a touchdown, that's how they stay in the game. Yep. Right? Ravens. The defense was pretty spectacular for a lot of the game. Good. Like mm-hmm. they had a couple of drives that they ended up giving up, but for the most part, they kept them around. Yeah, they were only fourth, separated by one defensive touchdown. Even that fourth quarter, they kept giving Huntley chances because they kept getting stops, even yeah. when Cincinnati started getting pretty decent field goal or field position during the the final couple of drives. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, you you gotta have a defense. And look, Chargers blew it. Yeah. Couldn't get stops. Soft defense. People said that that was what they were designed for, by the way, all year <laughs> long was to stop the pass. That's why I liked the Chargers this weekend. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, you, you still got to have a defense. And, and this is what worries me if I'm a Bills fan. So to me, the I, I would say that to me, the story of the weekend was how the Bills and the Bills and Bengals just sort of squeaked out. Yeah, that sure. neither of them yeah. looked dominant. And they're supposed to be two of the dominant teams. For me, Cincinnati gets a little bit more reprieve because they ended up with some injuries in the game and they were playing just, again, a really good defense. At least Baltimore, you can say that their defense is a top, since they got Roquan Smith anyways, the numbers would say that they're a top defense in the NFL, top five. Yeah. They end up getting extremely lucky, though, with that touchdown return. 98-yarder. 
I keep thinking it was Trey Hendricks, but it's the other white defensive <laughs> lineman. Hubbard. Hubbard. That's yeah. it. It's the other guy. Trey Hendrickson, <laughs> Trey Hendrickson was the one who yeah. forced Huntley at the end there to end yeah. the game. So, yeah, he's great. That's yeah. why I keep thinking about yeah, him it was Hubbard, that made though. the play. But it's Hubbard that Andrews almost caught him. He was like two yards away. I think it was a block in the back. Yeah. I think it was a block it in the was, back it was on kind Andrews. Of, it was kind of a block in the back. But suspicious. had they called that, no, no. that's like <laughs> yeah, you can't. immediate prison. Stuff would have been would have been yeah. flying on the field. It, the fans would have been throwing stuff. It wasn't a great weekend for the refs, but I did love how the, the field on field review thing was really clicking for them. That really mm-hmm. helped. It was fast. It would just come down the pipe. The NFL, hey, they, they might have something figured out here a little bit with that the the on field review. There was like a Huntley. Fumble that they turned back into a pass incompletion. They just they did a good job with that this weekend. But yeah, for Buffalo, here's the positive: they've been looking for a second guy Mm -hmm. in that offense all season long. And Gabe Davis was that guy in the playoffs last year, and everyone thought, "Oh my God, Gabe Davis is a stud." And then this year was pretty mediocre. A lot of drops, um, a lot of plays that he could have made. Just it it wasn't a spectacular season for him. There's a reason why they signed Cole Beasley, right? Yeah. And Dawson Knox has been scoring touchdowns week in week out, but outside of the red zone. Yeah, he's left a lot to be desired. They don't have a running game. James Cook makes a couple of plays here and there, Singletary too, but ultimately it's not reliable. And and what ends up happening? Josh Allen has to be the mutant, the alien, the do-everything guy. And and I really do believe that's why he has had a lot of these turnovers is because he has to try to fit balls into tight windows and he feels like he has to do it all himself. He has to hold on to the ball a little too long. And that's what you saw this weekend. But that's the thing for the Bills is you have those turnovers against the Chiefs, you're dead. Yes. You're, there's no chance you're beating Patrick Mahomes with three turnovers. No. You can beat Skylar Thompson with three turnovers. You, you can't beat Patrick Mahomes. So to me, it's like the formula is pretty clear. Buffalo is who they were at the beginning of the season, even though they thought they had changed with their defense. It's like they're not a defensive team. No. They 18 points off those turnovers, by the way. So I don't want to really put too much of this on, you know, being hot takey that the Bills defense stinks because yeah. I don't think they do. 18 points off the turnovers. But, yeah, can they find other guys that can step up and take a little bit of the relief off of Josh Allen so they can compete against the top-tier teams? I think that next, this weekend against Cincinnati, like we'll preview those games a ton throughout the week, but... Cincinnati now being so beat up, down three offensive linemen. Yeah, that O-line, yeah. eh? That's yeah. just going to be tough that's, to... That's going to help Buffalo's pass rush a lot. Yeah. So that is going to be huge. But yeah, for Cincy, it's kind of like a little bit... To, it wasn't an overly convincing game at all. Well, if Huntley is doing that to you, right? Yeah. If you're having blown coverages against like the Ravens and what was it? What's Demarcus Robinson? Demarcus Where he scored Robinson? that touchdown on Eli Apple. And Oof. yeah, there was just Eli a couple, there were a couple of plays like broken plays where they just couldn't get to Huntley. And all I was thinking of was what if that's Josh Allen back yeah. there? Yeah. And Diggs is flying down the field and it's not Gabe Davis Robinson. Is out there. <laughs> that's well, cause that, he in the playoffs, I mean, hundred yards yesterday, either way, uh, turnovers are just, that's going to be it. Ball yeah. control, so lame, but that's it for the Bills. They take care of the football. They're going to be as good as anybody because Allen can score with anybody. Yeah, and the Bills opened they as don't, minus 200 favorites too, which is uh, interesting. So turnovers for the Bills, turnovers for the Leafs. Three turnovers for the Bills and 18 points, three turnovers for the Leafs that go into three goals. Um, I want to talk about takeaways from the Leafs weekend against the Bruins, and I'll bring in my buddy James Martel, senior editor at The Athletic. What's up, buddy? How are we doing? Not too bad. How are you? Are you a football fan? Yeah, I don't think you are. You're just like a pure hockey dude, right? Like you're a BC pure hockey guy. That's it. <laughs> I I don't. I haven't watched an NFL game this yeah, year. Like I'm I'm very. But but like I I do like some other sports. But I I like I like like tennis. I'll watch yeah. golf once in a while. I like I like some stuff like that. 
Yeah, I'll nice. watch a Jays game once in a while, like if yeah. you're in the playoffs or oh, you got, you know, whatever. Yeah, during this, you're talking about like when hockey's not on. You're such a hockey hardo. You're like, oh, when the, the summer I allow myself to yes. have a beer and watch a baseball game, I'll t- I'll yes. partake in that. Uh, you're not like staying up late though with your tennis love to see Australian Open, right? Mm, I can't with my kids yeah. and stuff. But when I was younger, I used to do it. And really, yeah, oh, yeah. God. The Australian and the other Open thing, is the other so thing I love, I love sight. Like it's way it? better. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just like, I see these stories come in and I saw this morning on Twitter, Nick Curios is out and I went of what? <laughs> I went, All right. That the Australian open is happening. My bad. I'm sorry. The, the tennis majors are on my bucket list as like sporting events I want to go to. And the other thing I absolutely love and I'm a junkie for is the Olympics, so whether it's winter or summer, I'll watch that like yeah. the whole way through. That so. doesn't count. That doesn't count. That's, that's <laughs> just like, yeah, that does, that doesn't count. Um, okay. So Leafs Bruins, uh, they lose. I, I talked about it a lot on Leafs talk. Uh, it was a weird game for me because I thought Toronto played really well. They matched Boston's intensity, but overall I kind of came away thinking, man, Boston's just like better than basically everything Toronto does, except for one thing, which is Toronto has that high end talent. Right. And it just, it felt like to me, the way that the Leafs are going to win a cup is with the formula that they outlined all along, which is we spend so much time talking about like depth scoring and can they reconfigure the bottom six and can they get saves from Matt Murray and what does their blue line look like? And I go, okay, those things are all important, but I just don't see how the Leafs overhaul any of those units to the point where like they're elite. They have one elite thing and that's their four forwards. And if those guys can carry you in a way that is different than the Bergeron line, then you have a chance to win a Stanley cup. But if not, yeah, you're probably going to, you're probably going to lose in those other areas that teams like Boston are better than you at. It's funny too, because Boston has been good at it for so long now. Like you go all the way back to, you know, when, when they win the cup when 2013, when they play those Leafs teams, completely different team. Obviously there's no players. There's no one in the front office. That's the same, but the thing Boston's always been so good at managing the puck and that hasn't really been something that's defined the Leafs. And it's one of those things when you get into playoff series and you get down to the wire and you get two closely matched teams, which, you know, the Leafs have been in series like that with Boston three times in, in the time frame we're talking about. Boston just gets into crunch time, manages the puck really well, doesn't have those, frankly, dumb turnovers, and, and they win the, the game. And they're still that team. They've still got a lot of really smart players. They're still really well coached. Uh, I wondered if not having Bruce Cassidy, if it would be a little bit of a step back this year. Clearly, I was I was mistaken in that regard. And um, they're just they're just a smart, well-oiled machine. And you know, I was listening to you guys on Leafs talk and just talking about, you know, when they get that big line out there, it doesn't matter how old you know some of those guys are now. They're just they're they're as formidable as they were you know ten years ago. So it's it's a really really remarkable thing that that the Bruins have had this identity for as long as they have. Uh, unless the Bruins win a cup, I don't think Bergeron's retiring. I don't buy it. He's still too good. It doesn't make it I, like, what are the, what's the history of players that are as good as him on a line with a team that's as competitive as him that walk away? Yeah, I don't, I'm, I mean, it was, he, it, he was so close to doing it last year. I, I think know. for him, it, it just seems like it's, I mean, he's been in the league since he's 18. Um, I, I don't know the full personal side of it for him but it just sounds like you know maybe he feels ready and maybe he feels ready for what the next chapter is so you never know but I mean and that would certainly who would have thought Krejci comes back at 36 and plays the way that you know he's basically a point of game guy like Mm -hmm. I was looking at his contract the other day and it's like he's signed like I think it was a one million dollar base with some bonuses he hit all the bonuses so that's going to be something that the Bruins have to contend with on the cap but like 
I remember like when he signed that, it's like, oh, okay, he's back. Maybe he'll, because, you know, part of when, when Krejci left his last year, it was kind of like, oh, he's clearly in the downswing. I think he had like eight goals or something like that. And it didn't feel like that big of a loss, but then you, you watch him play and it's like, it's, he still looks like Krejci. Yeah, no, he was awesome in that game. And again, this yeah. was sort of the takeaway for me is Boston felt deeper. They felt like they had the better goaltender. They had the more reliable blue line, especially when it came to their, you know, top guys that they end up having out there. And really, uh, as their top line is awesome. I still feel like Toronto has the, the better depth of top-tier talent uh, uh, with the forward group, like they better. But that was kind of the only edge that I, I gave the Leafs. And I, I'm not trying to be overly reactionary to this, but it just felt like... Yeah, these two teams were playing more Boston style of game, and I was proud of the Leafs in a way that they were able to kind of match it and step up with it, but it just it, it kept feeling like they were a little bit out of their depth. And then I kept thinking, okay, well, they're going to go into the deadline. The Leafs are probably going to be able to do something. And mm-hmm. then you remember that Boston also has more cap space and more, you know, uh, assets to trade. <laughs> like it's just, well, I mean, yeah. the, the one big absence is Brody's not there. Right. And for that's sure. not really, that's not an absence that the Leafs are well equipped to compensate for. And, you know, obviously a huge part of the game was that that Riley Timmons pair just didn't work. And yeah. it's really interesting that Keith decided, you know, he, he changes up the, the Matthews line. He changes up his D pairs mm-hmm. for that game. You know, like why experiment for that game? Why not? Why not use some of the lineup configurations that had won them games recently? So that that was I I'm, I don't really know what the reasoning was for changing things for that game specifically. To me, the the pairing thing, and I, yeah, I brought this one up on Leafs Talk too, was just simply that they wanted to keep the other two pairings that they had together to make yep. sure that they could actually get a sample of what those guys look like against Boston. Well, and when you don't have Brody, who do you play with Riley That's is it. really the thing. Cause he, he needs like that, that fail safe there. And, you know, Brody ends up on so many two on ones going the other way towards the, and he, he does that whole alligator thing where he lies on the ice and, and blocks the puck. And, but you know, you look at who they have on right D for whatever reason, Justin Hall and Riley does not work together. It never has. Anytime those guys have played together, it's been a mess. And then you, your other right D option is going to be Lilgren, right? And like Lilgren and Riley, it's been okay, but I don't know. It, it feels like you have to use Riley almost as like a second pair guy at this point. Like he shouldn't be a guy, especially coming off the injury. He shouldn't be a guy playing 24 minutes. Man, uh, yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing about Riley is that everyone they've stuck him with this season, including TJ Brody, um, it hasn't been great. Like it, yeah. it just it, it's not working for them. And these are small samples, right? Like one of these is ba- one of these is a 16 minute sample, him and Timmons playing together. But yeah, their expected goals for percentage, him like he's on the bottom three out of all three out, out of all the pairings that the, the Leafs have put together. The three worst from an expected goal standpoint have involved Morgan Riley. And that includes when he's with TJ Brody this year. Again, it's it's not a lengthy sample. He missed 15 games. Um, I've seen him talking about how there's been this adjustment with the minutes and trying to get himself reacclimated. But yeah, uh, he was also struggling before the injury. This I, I, this feels reactionary, but I, I'm going to ask it to you: Is that contract already really bad? Like, can we already conclusively say that this is a bad contract? Mm, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, we've seen, we've seen Morgan, right. I, I know that he, like, he's, it's interesting, you know, Morgan Riley was one of those guys that was untouchable in the fan base and in the media for a long time. It wasn't with me. You know, it like, I don't know what I want to say. Like the, the first, whatever, six or seven years of his mm-hmm. career, he was one of those guys that took almost no criticism, but he's always been 
he's always had a little bit of, I almost, it's almost like a little bit like Dion Phaneuf or something. And, and they're not the same players, but Phaneuf was always cast as this like do everything, play all situations. Dion Phaneuf was not good at killing penalties. He was not good defensively. He was not good against matching against other teams' top lines. Like at some point you just, and they've gotten away from using Riley on the penalty kill, you know, the last couple of years for the most part, certainly not on the top unit. Um, there have been times where they haven't used him on the top power play unit. Um, so, and the interesting thing is if you look, if you look just at the numbers on that, that contract for Riley and you look at the comparables, I would say that most guys that have comparable numbers in terms of offense and things like that got more money than Riley did. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that makes the contract go down easier for you, but it's not like he didn't sign the Seth Jones, you know, what's Seth Jones nine and a half or something like that. Like he didn't sign that contract. So it makes it a little bit more palatable. Riley definitely took a bit of a hometown discount on that deal. Mm-hmm. There's no yeah. doubt that had he hit yeah. the open market, he would have been able to get more. That doesn't change the fact that it's an eight-year contract for $60 million and that he's seven and a half mil against the cap for the next seven seasons. And that, yeah, uh, that it takes him until his age 35 year. I just, here's, here's what I have an issue with. And it, it's a couple things. One is I think the reason that Morgan Riley never took heat in the media for many years, I, this is an old hobby horse take of mine, but it's because he's been sheltered by guys who were, worse versions of himself like jake gardner who was more of an analytics Mm -hmm. darling but a public whipping boy who had costly turnovers he was around for a lot of riley's career then they went out and got tyson berry who i don't think (laughs) has there been a worse leaf in the last i don't know 20 years than tyson berry in terms of just the way he ripped the fan base apart got a coach basically fired like he was traded out of town for a fan favorite who turned out to be awesome on a cheap deal like Tyson Berry soaked up a lot of the yeah vitriol I think Morgan Riley's also stepped up in the postseason I think that that is something that counts he also seems to really care about being a Maple Leaf he's a passionate player he's a workout freak he puts up points like there's a lot of things that work in his favor but it's really tough to me when you say you're a seven and a half cap hit guy for this amount of time and what has it always been throughout his career they need to find somebody to play with them they need to find somebody to play with them and whether that was like trying to find ron hainsey or whatever like this has always been the goal and now you kind of have to use tj brody there and it hasn't even been ultimately effective and so to me it's like we've had some evidence of this from the defensive side for quite some time the point production is not where it should be especially given the talent that the leafs have and his opportunities on the power play. And then if you're telling me, like, you always have to shelter him when he's 28 years old, like, what what the hell is that going to look like when he's 32? And you've still got four years left on the deal. It's just, it's a little spooky to me right now, James. I just, I have a hard time squinting and seeing how this ends up being a good thing for, yeah, the Leafs and for Morgan Riley, other than him being rich. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because the, you know, the front office made a different decision with Zach Hyman. And, you know, you look at the year that he's having in Edmonton and you look at Zach Hyman was one of those guys like analytics darling, like his numbers were unbelievable. So you've got an analytical front office, but what what they're looking at, I would love to see what they look at, like their numbers that they see on Riley, because I think they're different than what the public looks at. And I think that what the Leafs see is the way that Morgan Riley can carry the puck, the way he breaks it out of their zone, like some of the creative things he does that aren't goals and assists. And, you know, and I think that part of why they're okay living with some of the defensive mistakes is because of everything else that Morgan Riley does. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that part of why they, I feel like the front office didn't even really contemplate not bringing Riley back. Like I, I, I'm pretty sure they went into that negotiation 
feeling like they had to get get it done and that they had to you know remember that one went deep into the year like it, it was I can't remember when exactly he signed that contract but you know it was one of those ones where the regular season yes it yeah it like it, it dragged in and, and then I remember there was like some concern there they're gonna let another guy walk mm-hmm. and I remember talking to some people around the league and people who knew what was going on with the negotiation are like I don't think he's going anywhere and I think part of it is the Leafs were, they didn't want to be that team that lost another guy to UFA with no compensation. Like after Hyman happened, they didn't want it to happen again with a quote unquote core piece. And then that was part of the impetus to get that done. But like, I think the the point you bring up about the playoffs, about Riley playing well in the playoffs, it's a good one. And that's what they need. They need guys that can do that. So that's why I think it's too early to say this contract is like in hindsight, I think they probably should have kept Zach Hyman. Don't you? Uh, Kind of. Yeah, I mean, Hyman is just, if you think about him on this team right now, and... It's what they need. Oh, my God. If he was able to be on their second line, like him with Tavares, it would just be incredible. Um, And everyone always talks about the contract aging out poorly. Well, eventually the cap will go up. And I do think that a deal like Hyman's being that long, uh, yeah, it'll probably not look as bad as it did the day that he gets it signed. I would say that in defense of them letting Hyman walk versus Riley is like the history of the league. And this was something that I brought up when Hyman left was the history of the league indicates that guys of his caliber on free agent deals, it, it tends to kind of bite you in the ass. It, it tends yeah, to not I mean, be, it's, it's not a great history of guys like his ilk getting big money deals. But to me, the bigger issue is like, okay, so the new England Patriots, right? This is the standard bearer always across sports when it comes to this kind of stuff, right? Getting off a player at the right time or being unafraid to walk away from someone. Stick to your process then. Like if you're afraid of another guy walking away, that means you feel like you made a mistake before. That makes it feel like you did screw up in the past and then what? You're kind of compounding that mistake by giving someone else the long-term contract? Again, I I don't think that... This is a, an egregious decision because they kept a defenseman who can score a ton of points, who's good in the room, leadership, like, you know, a lifelong leaf. I, I didn't hate the Morgan Riley contract when it happened, okay? So I'm not going to chastise it too much. But I think that if your process was we don't want to let another guy go or that was a part of, like, your real thinking, yeah, that's, that's kind of that's tough for me. Right. Yeah. And, and part of it, I think, too, is some of the off ice stuff like Riley's conditioning is off the charts. Yep. Fantastic. And like, he hasn't, he's had some injuries, but he hasn't had like the an injury history to the point where you would be concerned. I like, remember Hyman was, Hyman was having the knee problems yep. and like, and you're like, well, I, you know, I think, and I think that that really played into it and it probably should have because, you know, if he's a guy that's going to be slowing down like two, three years into the contract, that's a real problem. And I don't think they foresaw that with Riley. So, I, th- there's still room here for, and we don't know to what extent Riley's been hurt throughout the course of this year and how that's played into it. And mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've seen him play a lot better than this, frankly. So yeah. I, I just think it's too early to say that the contract's a problem. I will say though, and this is one of the tougher things <laughs> is that this market, it, it just, I think it is harder for guys to dig their way out of it when there's just constant attention on it, that you can't have a 10 game spell when you're Morgan Riley, like you're somewhere else and you have bad 10 games and yeah, it's probably a story, but it, it doesn't build up into everything and you're not being asked about it every single day at a scrum by yeah. 10 different guys. So we'll, we'll see. I do think that he is a pretty mentally tough guy. So I'm not, that's overly, what I was going to say. Yeah, I'm not yeah. overly concerned with that part of it, but it, it could end up dragging out longer. It, it could end up being tougher, you know, though, like, again, to me, it's just the process. You and I have talked about why they didn't explore a Muzzin trade um, when they probably should have. 
what was the reason? They didn't want to mess with the room. They didn't want to lose a little bit of that leadership quality that Muzzin brings. And well, they the still same. thought he had something left, really. Sure. But same with Riley, right? Obviously, both guys, they still felt like they have something left, but they had a clog at the left side of their blue line. And it just, to me, it feels like they really had, they, they needed to make a tough decision with one of those guys. And one of the tough decisions was either letting Morgan Riley walk, which would have been tough, but again, hard pill to swallow, trading Jake Muzzin during an offseason, or, yeah, something that might end up happening heading into this deadline, which is trading Sandine. But, yeah, to me, it's like, what is your better gamble, Sandine? On what do you think his next contract looks like? Let's just you know you have probably a better idea of this than me. Like uh, a three-year well, deal. Yeah, yeah. I think that him and Logren, the way they're tracking right yeah. now, yeah, you're probably looking at three or four-year deal in like the probably like four million range at this point. I mean, depending on how many minutes they play and everything. I, I was going to say that you give him his number. You give him three point eight. You just say, "Yep, this is what you get over four. and he goes, "Yep, okay, that seems about right. That seems about fair." Uh, I'd rather take that gamble than the one on Morgan Riley, specifically at the contract that he's on right now. And I know you can say that's hindsight, but I always kind of felt that way. And like, you can kind of look back at the track record of takes is I thought that two off seasons ago, they should have traded Morgan Riley or at least entertain that idea, given what they had in the system. Then last year I said they should trade Jake Muzzin. And it just feels like, yeah, that was the one place where maybe they weren't aggressive enough is trying to figure out a, a different way to balance up their blue line a little bit better from the left side. Yeah, and I mean the complicating fact. And Muzzin has a no movement clause, and he had the all the injuries, and like that would have been you probably would have had to sweeten that and and figure something like that would not have been an easy deal to make. But mm-hmm. I was surprised they didn't look at it harder, and I was surprised that it just seemed like the the idea of moving on from Riley it really didn't feel like it was ever on the table for them. Mm-hmm. So, and again, I think that that speaks to I think they're looking at some different things than we are, frankly. Like I think that they they see something in Riley that. that they see something in Riley that that the public doesn't see, and it's kind of like they see his big mistakes, but they don't see whatever I don't know whatever the war stat or whatever that the the lease front office is using obviously values Riley very highly. James, you know it's not good for that argument. What is it? Do you, do you the last time I heard that being used by Kyle Dubas, it was with. Cody CC. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they got bounced in the playoffs. That was literally. Remember, do you remember Dubis said that and then CC played way worse? Like, he, he, and then all of a sudden, and then he was just like glaringly bad. Yeah. And I, I think, I think I was being a, a bit sarcastic and I said, is it time for the referendum yet? Because, yeah. you know, he, CC put up a really bad 10 or 12 games right after that point. So. Yeah. Uh, so w- do you believe in measuring stick games? Like when you watch that game against Boston, is there anything yeah. that you like particularly cared to see? I, just that they were like matching them blow for blow and that, you know, it really felt like the Leafs stepped up and it, everyone's saying, you know, it felt like a playoff game it and did. the Leafs didn't have a lot of shots on goal and like they, they still hung with it and they played really well in the third period. And so it's it's really just the dumb mistakes. Like the, the Timmons play is terrible. Obviously, the you know the Galchenyuking the puck away, and um, and I, the Tavares play turning it over at your own blue line like that with a minute left is just mm. just brutal, 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 brutal play. And so it really came down to very little there, you know. And you're playing a team that I think one of the Bruins have four or five regulation losses all season. Mm. They're playing at home. I think that the Leafs stepped up there and. You know, they just, they got to find a way to eliminate those, those really dumb mistakes. And 
I don't think, I don't know. I mean, the Timmons thing is classic because you see a guy play so well and look so good on the third pair playing sheltered minutes. And then when you put him into the fire against a good team, it looks completely different. And I think that's exactly what you saw in that game. Yeah, he he genuinely revealed himself as new Galchenyuk, but in a non-important time. You know, he was like, everyone went, oh, this guy, you know, pedigree and so so. And then he did the Galchenyuk, but it wasn't in a playoff game. And now everyone's going like, oh, 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 we see who you are now. Like he just did the Scooby-Doo, like the mask pull off is the thing. It was like, it was Alex Galchenyuk all along. And he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that damn blind, blind pass. Um, do you think that they, how did, what did you think about the physical side of the game in that one? I, I thought it, I mean, the Leafs have very quietly changed their DNA on that front, right? Like they've brought in some more people that can play that way. And so I think that, you know, I, I think it's good. I mean, I think it's good for the Leafs to play in more games like that. I mean, we all know that the playoffs are different than the regular, regular season. And you look at the standings and going into that game, the Leafs had a 7% chance of winning the division. I didn't look at what it was after the game, but it's probably zero. down to like, is it, is it zero? I mean, it's Why? probably like, it's probably like 2% or something, right? Like it's probably yeah. down to almost nothing. I don't think that Tampa's going to pass the Leafs. So basically they've got like 30 odd games left to like twiddle their thumbs and wait for the playoffs to come. They should start trying to play more playoff style games. And one of the ways to do that is, is to embrace the physicality and they don't have, a whole lot of guys that can do that, mm-hmm. but you know, you had like an Aston Reese and Giordano and you know, they've got, they've got a little bit more of that. And I think they need to embrace that side of what they're doing. So again, I don't want to seem like Mr. Downer from that game because you're right. It was, the game came down to a couple of turnovers and uh, all Mark making a couple of spectacular saves, mm-hmm. right? This is, this is one that could have gone either way. And I didn't come away from watching that game and think, boy, over a seven-game series, there's just absolutely no chance for Toronto. They would just not be able to contend with Boston. But when it came to the physical side of the game and the the toughness, because I think that shows up in a multitude of ways. I'm not really talking about the Wayne Simmons fight, but I, I thought that Wayne Simmons' um, impression that he left on the game was actually pretty meaningful from a physical standpoint, that there was just a guy that was around that made everyone else step up a little taller. And I know that we use that in hockey a lot and it's a bit of a cliche, but yeah, the Leafs just felt a little bit more brave to engage in some of this stuff. And do you, do you know how much Simmons played in the game? No, not very, not very much. How much was it? It was under five minutes. Yeah. I was going like to say four, like, 40 well, or something I was going like to guess five minutes. <laughs> yeah. was, no, he did not play very much, but just having him around felt important to me. But then the other part of the toughness was Giordano blocking all these shots, right. And trying to come up with big plays and you have to paper over the Riley Timmons stuff with a guy who's the oldest dude in the league. And I couldn't <laughs> help but feel like, you know, even when you're mentioning how, Hey, uh, try to play more physical or try to play more of a playoff style in these last 30 games. I kept going, yeah, but I, I fear for Mark Giordano's ability to last. There is a little bit of, do you remember Spets in his final year, how he looked spectacular at the very beginning and you went, boy, like look at him go. And even Simmons actually that one season at the very beginning kind of looked really good. Yeah. Giordano's yeah. built different. There's no de- There's no question. He's built very he's different than tank, those guys. Man. He is a tank. He's He's one of those guys that's going to be like, like if he wants to, he can be like Char or whatever and play into, you know, play so plays 43. Like he's, yeah. he, he, and he's just an off ice fanatic too. Like he's just incredibly dedicated. And some people just have bodies that don't make sense. Like, you know, like the you know, Ginla, Marlowe, like some of these guys, like they're just, they're just built differently than normal human beings. Just still feels like a little bit too much. I have that identity from the older guys. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, at least it's there, though, right? Like, at yeah. least it's not it's not missing. And in some ways, you have it from the older guys, and then the rest of the team follows suit a little bit. So, I mean, in a perfect world, they would add more of that at the trade deadline, right? Yeah. Like, they would add multiple pieces. And that's why, you know, I know there's lots of people in the fan base that dismiss the idea of adding another defenseman because the blue line has looked so good with Riley out and everything. But that's why I think they're still going to look at it, even if it's a depth guy that they bring in. I think that they need more snarl. And that they need another blue liner. And yeah, ultimately, you'd love to see them be able to add to the bottom six and to the blue line and somehow do both. The, the issue is, is that like you look around the league and this will be some uh, conversation probably more for a different day when we're doing more deadline stuff because we've basically got two months of that. Um, but yeah, Colorado with two first round picks and cap space. Same thing with the Rangers. Bruins have more cap space. Obviously, Tampa is looking to try to bolster up for their run part of this whole thing that I think we've neglected in watching all these terrible teams all season long. Like the, the added benefit of watching that Bruins game is we've been watching a lot of, you know, red wings, right? A lot of yeah. ducks, a lot of just, Oh my God. Well, how, can we just speed this up? Can we decide to play two periods? Can we just have it where the one team decides like, you know what? Forget about it. <laughs> just Toronto can have that point. I don't care uh, about some of these reps is that, there's, there's going to be a few teams that are probably pretty hyper-aggressive come deadline time. Oilers even, too, where, like, they're not in it, but how do you just waste a year of McDavid when he's doing this thing, right? Like, the, the price point at the deadline feels like it's going to be extremely high, and all these things that we've been doing, because I think a lot of Leaf fans have been excited by the idea of having this Muzzin contract that's hanging out there, right, that they can move the Muzzin deal, and that can afford them to bring in a good player, that ultimately it's like they don't have the same flexibility as a lot of teams and the buyer's market is going to make it just extremely expensive to add just like anything at all. You remember the Sherratt price from what was that was last yeah. year, right? When the Panthers got him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's what you're going to be looking at with a lot of players this year. Well, yeah. Like a physical top four D is yeah. like, it's like the unicorn at the deadline. Right. And you always overpay for it. And you know, people will even dispute if Sherrod even is a top four guy. And most part of what's happening is like, there's just this split in the league where you have like 12 or 13, just total crap teams that aren't like, you even have teams like Nashville and St. Louis being like, yeah, we should probably sell. And it's like, Whoa, like, you know, there could be so many sellers and then there's a very clearly defined market of buyers mm-hmm. that, I mean, I guess the thing you have to hope for as, as a lease fan is that there's just a lot of teams trying to unload players and there's a lot of good players available. And then that helps with the asking price. But, you know, I, I, I the lease should be aggressive at this deadline for sure. Oh, yeah. oh and that, they are going to be. That uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know. They, I, I, they, they need to be. There can't be any hesitation. It sounds like there's lately there's been a little bit of hesitation around dealing first round picks because they traded so many and mm. like I they they got to they got to put all that on the table here. Mm. I would say if that anybody likes anybody in the system that isn't Matthew Nice, um, like a friend of mine, Nick Richard, put out his top fifteen Leafs prospects. And I went, that's not great. <laughs> There's not a lot there, no. That's not, yeah. the, that's not the list you want to see where Nick Robertson's number two. I was like, the Nick Robertson that we watched this year? That guy? He's number two? Ooh. Well, no other team's going to be like clamoring to get Robertson in a trade. Uh, yeah. You know, so many injuries. and yeah. Better hope yeah. somebody really saw some good film on Topi Niemela, is what I <laughs> say. Somebody, some scout in some room was like, yeah. Uh, it comes Topi. down to picks, honestly. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, and I heard you guys talking on Leafs Talk, too. I mean, maybe there's a roster piece it makes sense that you can trade that somebody likes like you know maybe someone's 
The only thing is, is that the guys you could see them moving out would probably be Angwall and Kerfoot, and they're both in the last year of their deal, so you're not going to get a whole lot back in return for them. No, I think to me that's just salary matching. Maybe a little yeah. bit of Engvall, but yeah, hopefully that would be the case. Okay, last one, then we'll let you go. We've already gone really long. Um, do you think Matthews' thing was load management? I think that he's been dealing with something for a long time. I mean, anyone that watched him play the last two years before this one and watched this year, you can see a difference. You can see a difference in the way he shoots the puck. So I don't know what it is, and the team has very carefully not put anything out there, and he said he doesn't want to talk about it. And, I, you know, I guess kudos to him, but I think it's something that's been going on for a long time. So does that count as load management if someone's been managing something? And I I thought he he probably should have missed games earlier, to be honest with you, Hmm. because I think he's been playing through. I don't know what it is, and and like I said, no one will talk, but I would be shocked if it hadn't been something that's been lingering for months. Well, hopefully it's something that can't get worse, but yeah, you look at this upcoming schedule and games the Leafs can test themselves in, and I think there's a lot of good ones, Panthers, Jets, Islanders, Rangers, mm-hmm. Caps, Bruins, but then after that stretch, you can be resting Matthews a lot during Blue Jackets back-to-backs, Blackhawks, Canadians, Blackhawks again. Like, there's there's a... There's a soft spot after the all-star break. So if he is dealing with something, I, I think that maybe, yeah, you do take a look at, at giving him maybe even a week off. Uh, James, always great, buddy. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you. See you, pal. James Myrtle, senior editor of The Athletic. Quick break. Come back. Give you our pick for the Monday Nighter. Sportsnet 590. All right. It's time for action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus. Ontario only. Please play responsibly. So I'm I'm thrilled we have a game tonight. Mm-hmm. Especially since Raptors play during the day. Yeah, but at three. Very nice. Very nice touch. Because mm-hmm. I will admit that a lot of Raptors Hawks got watched by me on a replay, you know, <laughs> fast. Yeah. I went, okay, I need to get the gist of this one. Kind of got buried in... A mm-hmm. night where there was Bruins and then there was NFL playoffs and yeah, it's a busy night. But I get, I get a rationally like sour. It's, it's so funny because for a normal sports fan, it's the best having all these games on at once, right? You yeah. go to the sports bar and you just have multiple screens yeah. and you're paying attention to different stuff, or you fire a different laptop screen up at home, mm-hmm. whatever. It's kind of passive fun view. I gotta have like takes and really know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So I get pissed because I'm like, you're ruining the fun and making work now. <laughs> Now you got to watch a whole yeah, game after the game. Exactly. Yeah. There's, I, so I actually really like rewatching sports a lot of times because I feel like you go into it with just a completely different eye. Yeah. Like you, you get rid of a little bit of your confirmation bias or you see something just differently or there's no emotion attached to it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Raptors game, it was just, that was not it. I was, that was a yeah, chore. Yeah, yeah. I was oh. like, great. I got to watch the Raptors not play defense <laughs> and everybody's going to miss a bunch of shots. Yep. Fun. Story of the year. Another team on a back-to-back, by the way, that you're just like, hey, try. And they went, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it, yeah. it's, it's like that SpongeBob meme where he's like, I don't feel like yeah, it. Yeah, Well, you know what's amazing is, and Will Lou tweeted this, the little snippet of Nick Nurse at practice. Mm. Oh, yeah. Actually, Austin, you have that? Yeah, you have that, right? I sent that to you last night. The Nick Nurse? The effort one. Yeah, where he's like, we're not going to talk about effort. And it was moments after, like, yeah. he had talked about effort. Yeah. And he was like, stop talking about effort, guys. Like, yeah. Don't ask me anymore. Just, yeah, it was tough, tough weekend for the Raps. It's just the whole, the vibes are back, crew. 
That was pretty much uh, the Charlotte Hornets, as you should probably yeah. know. The worst team in basketball. Yeah, you're going to against the Charlotte Hornets. Anyways, the vibes are back, dissipated pretty quickly. Yeah. That was pretty tough. Anyway, the Raptors, um, well, you're making a trade. We'll talk more about that yeah, a little later yeah. on. But, yeah, now we're making we'll our picks. I'm, but I'm thrilled. Yeah, we get standalone football tonight. We're going to just enjoy and watch the football game. Mm-hmm. And then the casual viewing is flipping on, you know, the other stuff, like let's take a look right now. What's on in the NBA? What can we do during commercials? What can we do for the NHL during commercials tonight? What can you have on the second monitor? Yeah, like here's what I can tell you won't be Boston <laughs> Charlotte. <laughs> but that's at one today. Uh, let's see here. That'll be a oh, boy. Uh, the Jazz face Rudy Gobert. The Jazz S- sons and the Grizzlies. Ooh. The Jazz, the better basketball team to the team they dealt Rudy Gobert to for all the picks <laughs> that ruined the deadline. The Suns and the Grizzlies. Yeah, it's no, there's nothing good. It's an NHL John night. <laughs> yeah, it's an NHL night. Yeah, I'm not going to be watching Lakers Rockets. That will not consume any of my time. <laughs> Ducks so, yeah. Penguins? Y'all in? And, <laughs> you love the Ducks. It's I actually, favorite Ducks team. Well, I actually kind of do love the Ducks because I have been extremely profitable betting against the Ducks. <laughs> I had a huge money-making weekend. Like I, I had, like I was broke on Friday, essentially. Friday broke me mm-hmm. because I missed on, I tried to do all these props and I missed every prop parlay by... Oh. Actually, by, by running one? backs receiving. Eckler oh. and CMC, the only two guys that yeah. just, like, refuse to catch the rock and do <laughs> anything with it. But then after that, it was just a lot of hits. Yeah. It was a lot of hits. And I that I hit the under, a teased under in last night's game. The Ravens-Bengals? Yes. Mm. That touchdown, you'll recall, was at the very beginning of the fourth quarter. Yeah. And then the rest of the game, there were no points. Nothing. Yeah. You I must have been sweating. I couldn't allow a field goal. I had the teased under to 42 and a half. Oh, so you and were. And so I sat there texting with my buddy, Chris Abbott, who yeah. also had the under all night long, sweating it out over those points. Going, what scenarios do we need? Right? Imagine okay, one team got need... a safety and just no, pushed it right no, to it's the, the edge. Bad because you just cheer for it. You're, go- you're thinking like, okay, what we need is Baltimore to get one first down and then punt and then yeah. Cincinnati to get two <laughs> and then punt it back and they're pinned and playing for seven. So there's no field goal. You know, you're going over all the machinations. That's why gambling is the best. Anyway, um, Cowboys at Bucks. Bucks, two and a half point underdogs at home. Um, the total is 45 and a half, which is mm-hmm. your classic. We don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, we don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Let's say it could be lots of points. Could be none. You decide. <laughs> Zero that's, or 60. Yeah. Up to you. Uh, and then obviously a ton of uh, full slate of props. Uh, Jobo, what's your bet? Uh, I'm going with CeeDee Lamb. That's been my, my guy mm. for most of the year. He's had 100 yards in three out of the last four games. He's Dak Prescott's number one target. I mean, it's, it's, it's your motto. You got to go with the playmakers in a big game. They're going to be going to CD a lot. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine he gets under 10 targets, 10 receptions. Are you that going range, over so. on receptions or over on yards? I'm going over on his yards. Um, but he like he's not like a 40-yard uh, per reception guy like George Kittle, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just chunk plays. Um, but they're going to be throwing the rock to him a lot. I got CeeDee Lamb over 73 and a half. I think uh, okay. they're going to be getting it to him. Don't mind it, Simon. I'm going uh, Brady attempts over 42 and a half. Looks like people have been hammering that a little bit, but honestly, you look like that's just how the Bucks play now. Brady uh, drops back so and throws. So many throws. That's a lot of throws. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I was looking at this. Like you look at his game log, other than last week, mm-hmm. where you know they were, had nothing to play for and he didn't play the yeah, full yeah. game. He's gone over that number six straight weeks. That's he just did how the Bucks have playoff play. Lenny last year, though. 
Yeah, that's true. I just like swings. No, mm-hmm. I don't mind this because hey, Brady going out on his shield. I don't think it's his last NFL game. So, no, I don't either. I yeah, think he's, little... he's probably playing again next year. Yeah. So I don't mind this one, mm-hmm. especially the only the only part of this that scares me is the it it feels like if the Bucks are going to win, Bucks jump out to an early lead, and then which is my yeah. bet, which is just the, the Bucks. Do you really want Micah Parsons getting 43 <laughs> chances to hit Tom Brady? Like that's, that's what I was thinking of. That's a lot of chances to hit Tom Brady, man. I, I don't know. Uh, Boffo, what do you like of this game? You got anything? My lean's towards the Bucks, but my best bet, you just said his name, is playoff Lenny. Anytime yeah. touchdown plus 130. I think that it's going to be a close game either way, and I think uh, he definitely gets into the end zone today. I don't yeah. see how that doesn't happen. And at plus money, I, I would jump on that. Austin? No, I'm broke after this weekend. I got nothing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that works too. Yeah, cut your losses. Just cut your losses. Tom Brady's seven and zero against Dallas. Yeah. And I know that this is kind of a stupid stat because all of Tom's starts have been when he's been on a Super Bowl contender essentially <laughs> yeah. against Dallas and yeah. Cowboys have, I don't know if Cowboys fans know this, you guys haven't won in a while. <laughs> you guys aren't exactly stacking rings, but we know how that feels. I just, this was, this was the entire season to me was the bucks were mediocre. They stunk at times. They were no good, but ultimately they were going to, they were going to host a playoff game against the team that was kind of struggling <laughs> and that's been the Cowboys. Dak yeah. has been turning the rock over. I don't really trust Dallas in this situation. Mm-hmm. This really does feel like, and, and I'm basing a lot of this off of just the narrative feel I have in this, which is Tom Brady wins again. He stays undefeated against them. Then he loses obviously next yeah. week, but um, doesn't it feel like we're going to be having these Sean Payton conversations about, should he go to Dallas? Is he going yeah. to, well, if Dallas LA, loses, McCar- like McCarthy. That's what I'm saying. Gone. L.A., Dallas, Denver, they're all these. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, don't, I think Miami's out. If you're a Miami Dolphins fan and you're rooting for Sean Payton, I think you're nuts. Like yeah. Mike McDaniel, you know what? All I was thinking of last yesterday when they lost that game was, I hope he gets fired and somebody in Seattle goes, listen, Pete, you have to go. You're 100 <laughs> and we want this guy. Like Mike McDaniel is cringe. Yeah. He's sure. just too much. He is. Especially when <laughs> he you're losing it. and he's trying to joke around and you go, man, please just read the room. <laughs> yeah. Know your audience for once, for God's call sakes, Call the right Mike, call please. the fourth down. Yes. <laughs> but the fact that they were even in that ball game yeah. and that they made the playoffs with the litany of quarterbacks that they had, the way they play. Anyway, I just, I'm a Mike McDaniel guy. I'm a believer in him, even though uh, I might turn on him as early as next year mm-hmm. if he's one ball. <laughs> well, it's the experience. But it's, yeah, yeah, I just... I, I think that Dallas ends up losing this game. This feels like Cowboys heartbreak. This feels like Tom Brady gets it done. Yeah. Gets well, and it would be classic ride. Cowboys, right? Like we had a classic Chargers mm-hmm. loss. It would be classic Cowboys. And Jerry Jones has said like, oh, McCarthy, he's safe. He's safe. But yeah. that, that tune changes if you get blown out to an under 500. Yeah. Well, team, this is the know? script. It's Tom Brady yeah. against a team that people should expect to win. Yeah. And it's the Dallas Cowboys. By the way, I like even more than CeeDee Lamb's over is Mike Evans' yardage total, which mm, is 65. That's the other one I was looking at as well. Like the, his connection with Brady has been heating up over the last couple of weeks, and yep. this is a big game. He's going to go to him. I was actually pretty surprised at that number. Anyways, that yep. was time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus. Must be in Ontario. Please play responsibly. When we come back, Greg Jennings. All right, so, again, shouldn't have been an unexpected thriller week in the NFL, but it was for me. Really didn't think that we were going to get just a full slate of awesome games. 
thought there would be some stinkers in there. Nothing. I don't even know what game I'm supposed to think was the worst. Probably my Seahawks, mm. just in the second half. But there was a moment. But it was really just the fourth <laughs> quarter, though. No, but there was a moment. There was a moment I thought I had belief. Yeah. I thought maybe, just maybe. Hope is what kills you. Wrong. I know it was. Uh, Greg Jennings, Super Bowl winning and Pro Bowl wide receiver, joins me now. What's up, buddy? How we doing? Greg there? We did. Hey, what's up? Uh, we great game. Yeah, it was a great it was a great day of games. Uh, where do you want to start? What was your What was your favorite thing that happened this weekend? Um, I think for me it, it was Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, and I know everybody everybody's looking like man, he had a great game. Daniel Jones, you can mark it, you can chalk it down, you can write it. He's a top ten quarterback in this league. Period. Yeah. Wow. Period. Like, I love everything that I've seen up and yesterday sealed the deal for me. Like, all season long, he had been consistent in doing things that was like, okay, maybe he's maybe he's putting himself back into a position where they they make they block him up. And watching him perform in a po- in a playoff game on the road. I don't care if it was against the Minnesota Vikings. What he did yesterday from a quarterbacking perspective was clinic. Like, if that were Josh Allen, we would be, did you see Josh Allen yesterday? He was flawless. Yeah. Like, he legitimately was amazing out of the pocket with his legs and throwing the football. What more can you ask for out of a quarterback? Okay. Let's- Loved it. Yeah, no, he was amazing. And I actually, so out of all the stories that I had written down from the weekend, he was clearly the story of that game, right? Like it was just, yeah, Danny Dimes just looking incredible. It was funny too, because they, they opened up the game with a, a three and out, they punt and I'm going, ah, is this what the Giants are? Is it's like, no man, all of a sudden Richie James and like that game should have been put out a, it should have been done because of a play that Daniel Jones made at the end of the game on what was it like a third and 15 uh, to ice the game, and he still found his receiver. He made a nice throw. He was awesome. He looks incredible. And, yeah, I'm looking at, okay, if we're doing a he's a top 10 quarterback, right? So, clearly, Mahomes better. Herbert, right? Um, yep. Joe Burrow, that's three. Clear lock. Josh yep. Allen, four. That's a clear lock. Jalen Hurts, five. That's a clear lock, right? We're not getting crazy with this. He was the MVP, like, they yep. arguably. Five. Trevor Lawrence, six, right? Yep. Okay. Keep going. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Once you get after that, it's like, <laughs> sure, like, like he's better. He's, like, sorry, Cardinals fans, but Kyler Murray, this it, it, is yes. not a question. Like, it's not a debate yes. between those guys. Dak we're, Prescott, we, sorry. We, we're, we're, I, I'll take him. I'll, honestly, I'm taking him over Dak. Oh, and that one could be thousand Dak, percent. You're taking him over the guy that throws more interceptions and touchdowns? Wow, shocking. Like, that's a really, that's a really bold take. Yeah, of course. Like, Mac Jones? Mm, Tua, like Aaron Rodgers is an interesting one. It's like, who is better right now? Seriously. Right, and that's that's the that's where I would challenge people and charge people to really lock in. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. who's had the greatest career and bring their career into play. Like, if we're doing that, no. Yeah, we can we can we can add a lot of guys. We can put Russell Wilson back in that category. We can put all these guys right. But if we're talking about to date. This year, this season, what we've seen, if this is who we're going to get moving forward, which is a question for mm-hmm. any quarterback, right? That's, that's unknown for any quarterback. But if this is who we're going to get moving forward, 
he's a top 10 guy. Yeah, I, I think so too. And okay, let's say you even throw Rodgers and Brady into the, hey, you got to respect the resume and who would you rather have in a big game category, even though I would actually rather have Danny Jones because he can move. Like you just saw how much he opens mm-hmm. up a playbook, right? Like if you give Tom yep. Brady or Aaron Rodgers to day bowl, he's not able to do half the things that he wants to do in that game. But even if you do that, like even if you put those two guys in there, he's nine because you can't say Kirk Cousins after he just beat Kirk Cousins' nope. ass. And you can't say Gino, and you can't say Tua, and you can't say Jared Goff. And so, yeah, even at worst, at worst, he's eight or nine. Like, that's exactly where he has to be, which is, again, it's shocking, dude, because this this guy, a year going into the season, it felt like, okay, um, Dable's going to come in here, and he's going to try to open up things with his legs, but we know who this guy is now at this point of his career, and this is kind of going to be a rental situation, and maybe he can recoup some value. It felt done, 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 and now all of a sudden the Giants are like, yeah, they're my favorite team left. There's no question about it in terms of just enjoyment to watch them play because of all this, but dude, where are we putting Dable in terms of the list of coaches then? Because he turned around Josh Allen's career, and now he's turned around Danny Dimes' career. Like, this is a pretty impressive resume this guy has built over the last couple of seasons. It really is, and that's where it stemmed from for me. I, I was looking at Dable, and I just was watching him on the sideline and his body language, mm-hmm. and they caught him you know, going up to Matthew Slater after he had that drop on that third and 15. And the way he spoke to him, without knowing what he said, and picking his chin up, putting his hand underneath his chin, putting his – How can you not improve when a coach believes in what you are? Mm. Like you have to, you have to improve because he gets you to finally have the confidence that you do have the value that you knew you had. It's just, I gotta, I gotta deliver period. And he believes that you're going to deliver. I'm going to put you in a position to be successful. All you got to do is do what I know you're capable of. Love it, man. No, he, uh, you know where he's born? Where was he born? Canada. Well in Ontario. Yeah, no big deal. It's kind of our guy. <laughs> Did he spend a minute here? I don't think so. Other than, like, I'm pretty sure he was born here and then just rushed immediately across the border to go live the rest of his life in the States. But we're counting it. Like, if we get Nate Burleson, we're counting that too. So we're counting Dayball as, <laughs> as Canadian. Like, that's what's going down. That's how we're doing this thing. Yeah, uh, I think the Giants are actually a dangerous football team. And, uh, like, their defense, I thought, you know, the pass rush was just okay, especially when you consider all the third down conversions that the Vikings had in that game. I thought, okay, you know, this was supposed to be your calling card was being able to get pressure and cousins has been hit a lot this year but yeah those guys have room to improve saquon looks healthy looks great they've got this incredible coach dimes looks amazing yeah where are we capping these guys is it outside the realm of possibility that they win another game next week uh it's not it really isn't when you think about let's we can kind of go through the games now but like let's let's look at what baltimore was able to do without a lamar jackson because of the the familiarity of the opponent right Mm -hmm. so when you look at the philadelphia eagles and the giants the giants feel like okay you got us the first the first time in that life You, you you beat us up the next time we didn't even play our guys and we kind of we fought right and 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 one some can say you know the eagles whatever they they were kind of overlooking it they knew they would beat the giants cool but you have a team that has tremendous confidence right now and can have a moment and if they are having a moment they can beat a, a division rival philadelphia eagles team on their turf 
in the postseason that's not fully 100% healthy. It can happen. So I, I said I think Kirk Cousins got a little bit too much blame in that game. Like, ultimately, I thought he played pretty well. And even if you look at the last play of the game, Dexter Lawrence is right in his face. And he throws he doesn't throw it past the sticks, which is basically a cardinal sin on fourth down. But I, I didn't really see the other option that he had when you show it from a couple of different angles. But, yeah, the contract remains to be, like, Kirk Cousins can get paid infinity amount of money, and it's kind of a dif- difficult situation. Do you think the, the Vikings reset at that position, or do they just keep saying, hey, we actually need to load up on the defense, our offense is fine, like run it back, just add more spam defensive talent to this team? So it, it, it's it's a tough situation. It's not really a tough situation because you do have a quarterback who's competent, who can get it done if you're able to protect him and if you give him a defense that can live up to what their expectations are. Um, and, and to sit, sit here and say, okay, pull the plug on Kurt, and now you're running the risk of putting a guy behind center or under center that you don't, you're not sure of, you're hopeful of. You know what you're going to get with Kurt. One thing about Kurt, he has been consistent. Kirk Cousins is very consistent. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring up I, – I had, I had a conversation about the game or post-game reaction, and I didn't bring up the fourth down because I, I saw the same thing you saw. Yes, we all know he – Kirk Cousins throws it under or in front of the sticks. You can't do that. Well, you when you're getting pressured and you have to let them, if he would have taken a sack, we would have been like, you can't, you got to throw it. Yep. I don't care where you throw it. You just got to throw it. Yep. And so that's what he did. Here's my thing is I, I both, I don't love Kirk Cousins. I, I truly believe that as a big game player, he has shown his stripes a few times, but mm-hmm. you have Justin Jefferson and you can't afford to just bring in a lottery ticket court. Like, what's out there to you, you know, that, that is automatically going to be better in this offense? To me, like, their defense exactly. is what really let them down. If I was Minnesota, what I would be trying to explore is, does somebody like uh, Trey Lance become available in San Francisco, right? Like, I don't think Jordan Love will. And, of course, you don't trade in the division like that. But looking around the league and trying to find maybe a younger guy reclamation project, does a Sam, uh, not Sam Darnold, sorry, um, does a Zach Wilson become available, right? Like, uh, a second-tier guy that maybe can come in, compete with Kirk Cousins, maybe give you a bit of a different look, a little more athleticism, whatever, and have him play behind Cousins. Because I don't know if you're drafting a rookie yet, unless there's somebody that you're like completely in love with as an organization. But yeah, to me, it's like you got to get better on the defensive side of the ball, and you can't screw with years of Justin Jefferson having him with uh, like a no-name quarterback or somebody that's just fresh out of the draft because he's just too special a talent. Um, all right, let's keep it moving. Um, yeah, we got to talk about the blown lead. That's where we're going next. Uh, can you can you bring back Brandon Staley? Like, is it even an option? So, I'm not. I'm one that doesn't like to overreact. I, oh, okay. And it, and it, where are you it, going? Yes. In this moment, when you look at the body of work of Brandon Staley, all we're going to see is the the highlights of what he failed to do. The reality of it is, is he's done a lot of really good things with that with that team, mm. with that with that organization. And so for me, if there's a better option, if and we all say Sean Payton, I love Sean Payton, love Sean Payton. If if Sean Payton is available, you definitely have to entertain that. Yes, if he's showing interest, you entertain it. Period. Point blank. Yes. However. If Sean Payton is not that option, who do you go to? Are you, you're, it's, it's like a, we make it seem like head coaching 
vacancies or opportunities aren't as important as a quarterback. Like, you have the wrong head coach. You are put setting yourself up to fail. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Staley is the answer, but do you have a better answer is my question. Well, I would say this, and I do think this matters. Um, I can't remember who tweeted it, but I saw it on the weekend. Was Someone pointed out that Staley makes like $4 million bucks as a head coach and that Sean Payton's asking for like three to four times more than that. And I went, hmm, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, you probably... Probably want to maybe keep. Staley's my guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's like you're like, how much better is Sean Payton? No, you're right. If Sean Payton wants to come to you, great. But he's just in this perfect bidding war situation, especially if Dallas loses tonight, right? And if you're the Chargers, yeah. do you think you're going to be able to win out and and end up winning this this bidding war between Denver, that's got a new ownership group that's extremely hungry hungry to try and fix Russell Wilson against potentially the Dolphins, which is insane to think about. But Stephen Ross just obsessed with with trying to get them. Um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of suitors for that coach and I don't know how the chargers fit into it. I just, from my standpoint, you broke, you broke the back of your best receiver in a meaningless game. (laughs) And then you went into it. Now all I could think was if Mike Williams is playing in this game, do they blow his lead? And I'm going, no, no chance the whole time. I'm I'm, like, Mike Williams matters. He is a huge difference maker for the Chargers who, yeah, couldn't get points in the second half, who couldn't move the ball in the second half. You tell me he doesn't make one play. I just don't know how, yeah, you continue as that group, that core of players looking at him and saying, damn, you're a reminder of how we lost. You're the defensive guru coach that built a team that's supposed to be a Brown protecting the pass. It worked in the first half when Lawrence had four interceptions, but then you also broke our guys back. You've had dissent with Keenan Allen. It just, it feels like, he might be a good coach. Um, he might have done a lot of good there. There might not be a perfect option to replace him. I just think that maybe it's reached a point of atrophy with him where, like, you got to switch something up so that you don't just feel like the same old Chargers because that's kind of hanging over them right now. What about the Jaguars, though? Because, boy, Doug Peterson, good luck for him. But Trevor Lawrence, I, I was ready to talk to you being like, Greg, I told you he looked crappy in that big game the final week of the season, and then he throws four interceptions. I don't know about this guy. And then he closes with four straight scoring drives. Yeah, what did that game mean for you when it comes to Trevor Lawrence? So it, it, it meant a lot. Number one, it's showing, it shows me how not ready he is, <laughs> to, be mm. correct, to be quite frank, um, because – you can't have the mistakes that he had in that moment um, in that first half. I, I get it. The first one, tipped, intercept. But then the following interceptions. Now, Asante Samuel Jr. made some unreal interceptions. He, had, he made some unreal plays. But there were a couple on Trevor that I'm like, you cannot do that. What I did like is how – how he was so communicative on the sideline. Like if we saw, you saw him walking into the tunnel with um, Ingram talking about whatever it was, but he wasn't down on himself. He never let that get the best of him. He showed a tremendous amount of resolve and he fought back. That's great. I love that aspect of it, but I expect that of any, any player at this level to fight back, Mm. get it. But can you be excellent? Can you be great? Can you not put us in that situation? And I, I, I don't know if he's ready to not put them in that situation moving forward. Like against the Kansas City Chiefs, we all 
We all know that wouldn't – if he gets off to a start like that, the game's over. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's just not going to end well with him. And I think they know that, but it, I'm tired. I can't con- – I can't keep waiting for him to, like, okay, Trevor. And I'm a Trevor fan. Like, I, I picked the Jags to win. But to watch him play the way that he did in that first quarter specifically, but in that first half, it was like, come, you, you can't be the reason why we lose. Mm. Like, last week, you were almost the reason why. Now it's a true playoff game, and you're about to be the reason why. You cannot be that guy. If you're a quarterback, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and it does make sense, and you're right. I don't think that they're ready to win football games, so if the point is the one that you're making, which is like it was kind of proof that they're not ready to, I totally get it. But if I'm a Jaguars fan, I'm thinking, man, how many guys can do what he did in the second half, though, where they can just turn it on like that and score four touchdowns with, yeah, a good receiving team, like a good, uh, solid offensive team, but it's not like great talent around him. It's good talent. And he just, he barbecued a Chargers defense in the second half that's led by a coach that a lot of people respect defensively. And yeah, uh, a group that's designed to literally protect big leads. That's what's crazy about this is like, that's the way the Chargers are designed on defense is to stop exactly this. And he still ripped them up. And I just, yeah, boy, I'd be excited. So do you, how much of this do you put on Justin Herbert, by the way? Um, to be honest, I can't put a whole lot of it on Justin Herbert. I, I just can't. I love what he was able to do. I know there was opportunities that, that were missed, but I don't care who you are. Like, when you have a 27-point lead, from a play caller perspective, and I, as a player, knowing there is a level of comfort that uh, – or I shouldn't even say comfort. There's a level of caution that enters into a coach's mind now. Okay, let's protect this lead. There is the the aggression, the aggressiveness of who you are coming out in the second half kind of turns into, okay, I'm defending now. It's like watching the World Cup, and we see a team before they score. It's like everybody's aggressive. I mean, 10 shots on goal, and then the moment you get up 1-0 or 2-0, it's like, okay, let's just, let's just not let them score. Well, you – you, you're giving them an opp- more opportunity or a greater opportunity to end up either tying or matching your level of intensity that you once had that you no longer are showing. That's what I didn't like about the Chargers, and I put a lot of that on coaching. Mm. Did the Bills or Bengals do anything to make you feel less confident that they can beat the Chiefs this weekend? <laughs> uh, number one, I, and you know how I feel about Josh. Yeah. You know how I feel. I love Josh. I, 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 if he continues to play like this, look, we, we're, 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 we're riding Dak because of the interceptions because mm-hmm. he led the league. Josh was right behind him, mm-hmm. right behind him, and he's carried it over into the, the postseason. And, it, I, look, my mom taught me when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. This is who Josh Allen is right now in this moment, in this stretch. He, that's who he is. And it's like it, it's going to bite them if he doesn't fix that. If he fixes that, which I don't know if he can just all of a sudden next week, he fixed it. I, I, we've been waiting for him to kind of fix this. And so if he can't, no, they can't beat the Chiefs if he plays like that. No way. Dude, you know what's crazy? He had, he had less interceptions this season than he did a year ago. Which I, I do because everyone keeps talking about this Allen thing like, 
oh, what a crazy year he's having. All the red zone turnovers, right? That's been different this season is all the like un, like the horribly timed ones that he's had. But no, Allen has been a turnover machine the last couple of years. Like the yes. last two regular seasons, he's got 30 interceptions, like, you know, uh, and that's another game where there's multiple interceptions for him this season against the Dolphins and the fumble. Yeah, I, that's a tougher one to put on him. But my, my theory yeah. on this earlier is just like this is definitely on Allen, but this is also partially on the Bills for not designing a little bit more of a balanced team around him where he's just the mutant. He's the alien, whatever you need to call him, that has to make all these plays, right? Gabe Davis played well. He's been awesome in the playoffs, but all season long, the Bills been searching for that number two guy behind Diggs. And they signed Cole yeah. Beasley at a desperation. You know, they draft James Cook this year and go, we're going to try to run the ball more. They trade for Naheem Hines. None of it, it all feels good. Like the Bills feel like they have eight guys, you know, who are solid, but they don't have another guy who it's like crunch time I feel great about other than Diggs. And that just, it puts so much pressure on Josh and... I think that's part of the reason why it's like you mix in his natural desire to make big plays, um, his arm strength, you know, all of the, his running ability, like all the things that make him the mutant that let him see the field differently than other guys. But then you add that with, wait, there's no other, this is definitely the guy too. You go in this spot. And I think that that's what, that's what you're seeing with this group. And you're, you're dead, right? Like you have three turnovers, 18 points for uh, Miami in that game. All of them. I can promise you that you give 18 free points to Patrick Mahomes and you have 0% chance of winning that game. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do it. But I think what all of what you're mentioning about his lack of um, others. Yeah. Like it's, it, it goes unnoticed when you continue to win. But when you get into the postseason, it, it it rears its head, and now it forces you to feel like like yesterday. I mean, I, I excuse me. I love Tony Romo because like the Skylar Thompson. Skylar Thompson played a great game, by the way. Mm-hmm. But the Dolphins let Josh off the hook with that interception, oh and God. I could not agree with him any more when he said. That, I put that on the coaches. You can't put of him in that course. position. I totally 100% agree with that. But he let Josh Allen off the hook because you could see it in his eyes. He was like, okay, he was forcing things. And it's like I, the more you force, the more you feel like, man, if it doesn't work out, okay, I got to do it again. I got to do it again. And it would have been interesting to see had they not thrown that interception, punted the ball away, and had that opportunity to take advantage of what – their offense and Josh Allen would have looked like after that. A hundred percent agree. The two dumbest coaching decisions of the weekend, Harbaugh trying to have the Huntley jump over the goal line, punch it through. And I know hindsight's 2020, you're not expecting for it to go 99 yards the other way with the defensive lineman. But yeah, uh, just give the ball to your running back maybe, or have him not reach the ball out like that in a vulnerable spot when you're about to win the game. But the other one was the McDaniel to me, letting Skylar Thompson throw there. I went, what the hell just happened? I thought I got the downage wrong. I thought maybe it was second. Down. Even if it was, they shouldn't have done it. But I went, was that yeah. third down? And was that like third and 19? They just let the third string quarterback air yeah, it out under pressure. I'm like, that was, that was pretty wild. Uh, what was the yeah. plot, like percentage of that play working out in their favor? I can't imagine it was very high. Um, okay. Well, so yeah, let's move to the, the Bengals then too. Cause they played a tight game. I'm terrified for them because they lost another offensive lineman. Now they're down three starters. Um, I can't imagine Andrews is back next week for them based on the way that he went down. Um, yeah, they needed, a again, a horrific play call by Harbaugh at the end of the game. And then some weird clock management by Harbaugh at the end of it, too. It was just 
didn't really understand why they were huddling and letting the clock go down to like 20 seconds when they were still on their like 30 yard line. But yeah, how much of that is just like a tough divisional opponent that's designed specifically to beat them versus a Bengals team that you and I have also both really loved, not really living up to expectation. Man, I think it has a ton to do with the fact that the Ravens, they just match up really well against the, the Cincinnati Bengals. That's yeah. just, that is a real thing. Like, they match up very well against what the Bengals struggle with. Getting pressure on the quarterback with your down, with your down lineman, that, they did it all afternoon. They did it all, excuse me, all night. Like, they did it all night. And if you are, if you are able to do that to a quarterback who lives in the pocket, who who thrives in being in the pocket and stepping up into the pocket, if you take away his lanes to escape and you can still apply pressure, which they did, it just makes it challenging. And you lose it. And you're already beat up up front. You already talked about this stuff. So moving forward, like I like them uh, because of what I'm seeing out of the bills, the bills for me again, and I picked the bills to win it. Uh, the bills just have this, you know, and again, because of all the DeMar Hamlin stuff looming mm-hmm. still, it's like this team of destiny. Like, if it works out, it's like it was just meant to be. Yeah. But if if it doesn't, I don't think any of us would be like, yeah, I, I just don't see how they lost. No, we can see how they lost because the quarterback wasn't really playing well. They didn't really have others that could step up and live up to the hype in the moment where the Bengals, on the other, ha- on the other hand, they can. If they can protect Joe Burrow, mm. they're going to be great. I yeah. don't see the Bills getting that type of pressure on Joe Burrow like I do, like the Ravens did last night. Yeah, I just I, I do worry, though, about now Jonah Williams being out, a guy who played all but five snaps for the Bengals this season, yeah. and then missing the entire right side of their line. Like, that was the whole story with Cincy this year was they need to improve the offensive line, they need to improve the offensive line, and then they started the year where it didn't look like they had, and then that unit finally gels, and yeah, Joe Burrow has to be like, ugh, what do I can't catch a like? I guess can't catch a break. It's a pretty good football team. Just made a Super Bowl, but it's yeah. got to be pretty frustrated with the idea that they finally get that group together. And now he's entering a game against Buffalo, where yeah, they don't have three of the guys that they were supposed to change with the yeah with the season. I guess conversely, the way the Bills are feeling about it, there's like I don't think irony is the right word, but they wanted to change their pass rush so badly to be able to get after the pass. So they bring in Von Miller and he's not going to be in this game. So it's going to be interesting to see like which group of, Hey, we're not at a hundred percent guys can actually take over that football game and hopefully change it for the other ones. Okay. So um, yeah, last one. Oh, actually no. Well, on that game, one more thing. So I had Jason Lack and four on here last week. He says Lamar is done in Baltimore, that it's, it's over that the owner hasn't paid him yet. How much did you read into a couple of things here? Like he's not on the sideline, which I was pretty curious about. And then after the game, Dobbins is like Hundley played pretty well. I think all things considered that defense, some of the plays that he made in the game and Dobbins is talking about like how, if they had Lamar, they would have won the ball game and that he should have had the ball at the one yard line. Like it seems a, a little dysfunctional for Baltimore from the outside looking in. I got to say like quite dysfunctional. It does, and that's that's not something that we're we're accustomed to seeing. It's in particularly coming out of Baltimore. Right. I think what what stood out to me more than anything was the fact that Lamar didn't travel with the team, um, because of his relationship with Huntley and Brown in that quarterback room, and the relationship he has with the guys that that he's gone 
uh, to war with, so to speak. Like you, 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 he, his injury isn't one that's like, okay, he can't walk. He can't. It, it's best for him. It, I get it. It is best for him not to be standing on the sideline. Totally get that. But this is a. Uh, this is do or die. This isn't a regular season game. You have insight. You have great ex- experience. And you can help in ways mm-hmm. that coaches sometimes can't. And you can get through to teammates in ways that sometimes coaches can't. And so for him not to be there, that's, that was really alarming for me. And I, all up until yesterday, in that moment, when I found out Lamar wasn't there, I believed it would get done. He would be back. He would return. I question that now. I still believe that there is a chance that he still ends up as a Raven, but that I wouldn't be shocked if he's not now. Yeah, I just, uh, I, like when he wasn't there, you just said it. Like what do you always see when a quarterback's injured? Is them talking to the backup, them walking them through the plays, what they're seeing, working with the offensive staff, and it was like, wait, he's not there? <laughs> like he didn't yeah. go? Huh? Okay. You yeah. can't stand all game? All right. Lamar, don't worry, man. We'll get you a wheelchair. Like, it'll be top of line. <laughs> you know, like cup holders and everything, man. Don't worry about it. Just very, very strange. Uh, last game. How How is Brock Purdy doing this? Like, how is he looking so good at this position? Like, at the beginning of the game, he kind of was stumbling. And as a Seahawks fan, I'm going, is real Brock Purdy? He's showing up. You know, freaking out, doing this whole thing. I knew it. I'm texting my brother, like, we got a chance. We got a chance. Brock Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant. And then all of a sudden, he's just, like, diming it around the field. And I know the Seahawks defense stinks, but he's just – this is beyond just a fluke. This is beyond just Kyle Shanahan. This is beyond the weapons, no? I think so, man. I, I truly believe he's a he's an up-and-coming prospect. Like, we, we're – he's – growing up literally in front of our eyes and and he's growing up even in front of his own eyes like when you I think the expectation sometimes can be a little daunting when you think about their roster right this is a team that's like okay just don't mess it up Um, and all season long when he took over he was able to take that and it seemed like it didn't phase him it's different when you get into the postseason so I wasn't I was okay with him struggling, and then, but still not like turning the ball over and giving the, uh, the opponent opportunity to just jump out in front, and then now you're having to dig yourself out of a hole, kind of like Trevor Lawrence did. Mm-hmm. He just was he, – he missed some throws. He missed some opportunities, and then he settled in. It was like he came to himself, and he, came, he started being the guy that we've seen all season long since he's taken over. And it's, I, I, it, again, he's showing us who he is. I don't just think it's, oh, my gosh, this scheme is just amazing. Yeah. It is perfect for him. I do believe this. what they're doing is, is ideal for any first-year quarterback that can throw the ball from the pocket that has escapability with their legs. I think it's ideal what Kyle Shanahan does. And he has, he has taken it by the reins, and he's running with it. But he is a good quarterback. He's accurate. He's, he's timely. Like, he sees the field. Like, I, I really like Brock Purdy. Same, man. And, yeah, do I think if they just dropped him on a bad team that all of a sudden Brock Purdy would be turning their franchise around? No. But, yeah, he's – like, two things can be true. The Niners' system and their playmakers is, like, their coaching staff – the style they play are really good for a quarterback, but he's also playing extremely well. And, and you know what I really love about him is that 
like when he misses throws, he's pissed at himself, but he recovers from it. But that also as a rookie, as the Mr. Irrelevant, like there was a play in that game where one of his receivers gave up on a play and he was kind of like barking you at thought, him. Yeah. And I went, dude, you got balls. Like you're a, yeah. you're a guy. Like you're not being like, Hey, it's cool, man. Do your thing. Brandon Ayuk. He's like, dude, finish the play. Like, I, like yep. calling for accountability as a rookie quarterback in that spot. I loved it. I, I think he's the man. Like, I think he is the real deal. I love that you pointed that out because I saw that as well, man. And it, it just shows it, it gets you, it, it allows your team and the guys that you're in the huddle with to just literally believe in who you are and what you provide even more. Like, shoot, okay, bro. Oh, yeah. my fault. That's on me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, all right. Yes, uh, holding them accountable. Anyway, Niners look completely dangerous, even though Hawks did push them for three quarters, and that call, the uh, ineligible man downfield by, like, a half foot even. I was like, what are we doing? Totally tilted the game. Then the sack fumble happens. You know, I like yeah, that, ref show. Yeah, Just, that yeah, that was horrific. Anyways, Hawks got screwed. <laughs> Brock Purdy should be out. Hawks should have won. It was right there. Game was right there. Uh, Greg, that was a great one, man. Uh, I, I lo- I'm glad you enjoyed the games. I hope that they're even better next weekend. Thanks for coming on, buddy. All right, sounds good. Hopefully the one tonight is great, too. Oh, I hope so. See you, man. I keep forgetting about the one tonight. Like, I thought, forgot about there. I was like, all right. The we had five bangers already, and you're like, yeah. okay, weekend over. Well, here's the thing. We did have five bangers, so what are the odds this one yeah. is good? This done. feels like stinker. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it Just does. hold hold faith. Hold faith. No, it does. This this reeks of stinker done. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know how everyone, they, we all love to complain about bad football games, yeah. like social media. Everyone says, this game sucks. It's just, this reeks of that. <laughs> A solo game. There's no good NBA on. To be fair, though, we, we were thinking the same thing about, like, the Dolphins and the Bills and stuff no, like that. But they turned out saying. to be good games. No, but this is what I'm saying. The odds of all six oh, true. being good. I Statistically. Yes. Not in the favor. And, like, the Seattle one, people would say that it ended crappy. But, like, you got three quarters of entertaining football. Yeah. Well, even the fourth was still entertaining. Yeah. It was just, like, the, the Niners were finishing it out. But Depends who you ask, Joe. Well, CMC not was me. kind of balling out. I'm sorry, JD. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah, not me. At least your team was in the playoffs. Uh, it was just like I had no hope in the entire game. Like none. To, for the first, or sorry, going into the game. I okay, thought, okay. It's I was fine. To say. And I was already doing the thing, and I have a couple buddies who are Niners fans, and yeah. they weren't even talking trash because they knew that this wasn't like this was a mismatch of two teams. Yeah. Seattle was again projected to win like four or five games this year. Yeah. And they made it to the playoffs. And they just they didn't belong on the field with the Niners. Yeah. I, I saw like a compilation of like preseason picks from like analysts and stuff like that. Yeah. And the Seahawks were fourth in the division. Yeah. <laughs> Every no. single uh, of time. Of course they were. That's my point. It's yeah. like, but then once it was halftime, once Ward made that idiotic yeah. Diving at Geno late play, and yeah. they kicked that field goal. I went, we could do okay. this. It's the hope this that kills you. could happen. <laughs> I believe this could happen. Because then you just start doing things like, hey, Brock Purdy was Mr. Relevant. Like, what's the odds that he just throws one bad one? Yeah. Just throw one. Cook up a bad just one. Give us a muffin. And he didn't. And it was Geno that had the back-breaking turnover, not yeah. Brock Purdy. Unfortunately. So that's the way that it went. Anyways. Purdy's been awesome. I want to see. I'm just waiting for... Let's say that he's down 10. What he looks like when, like, you know, he's not, like, out in front. Back against the wall. And, yeah, like, I'm so intrigued to see that. Because, yeah. I mean, he could be awesome the whole way, in which case, good on you, Niners. Like, holy. 
But I'm wondering if, you know, they get down a bunch, what all of a sudden what this rookie quarterback looks like. Dude, what's crazy is, though, is, like, maybe they don't. Yeah, that's a good yeah. – you know what? Actually, yeah. Like Wait, with that they, defense, they're so good, so good. that maybe right. they don't ever yeah. have to play from behind. This yeah. has been the Kyle Shanahan bugaboo his entire career with the Niners is he does not win games when they're down double digits in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Like, it just does not go down. And how did they lose their Super Bowl? It was when they were up double digits in the fourth quarter and Mahomes came back on them and then Jimmy G couldn't make the play. Yeah. It was so funny seeing that report going to the weekend. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo could come back, but he is definitely the backup. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Thanks. Thanks for this insightful reporting. Jimmy G back in the saddle. He's taking the reins. Like, obviously, he's Do you done. imagine? Anyway, you're right. That's the final test that he has to have, clearly. Yeah. Um, and I would even argue to a degree that this game wasn't even that big of a test because Seattle's defense sucks. Yeah. Bad. Yeah, it was the giants. Oh wait, no giants play Eagles. Yeah. Giants, giants they're going to have a cakewalk, man. This is embarrassing. Like they are just so the Cowboys or the bucks. Cowboys are bucks. So what? They're going to be seven and a half. Yeah. Point favorites. Probably. against yeah. Them? Oh, yeah. there. Regardless. Yeah. Cause yeah. those teams suck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do. Those teams suck. That's why this, this game tonight. Well, is like, neither's beating great. San Francisco. That's, what's the exciting thing about tonight? Like Micah Parsons. That's it. Seeing him in a big game. Yeah. yeah. What, or like hoping that Brady does Brady stuff, I guess. Yeah, but even I still. Like like, Lamb. I like CeeDee Lamb. Brady's not winning a Super Bowl this year. There's no. absolutely no chance yeah. of that happening. I love how I said that. Now he's going to put that in like the TB12. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, that'd be sick if I make that. He's going to drop it on you Instagram. Stink, Tom, you're done. Yeah, Buck Social <laughs> Media is running back this hey, comment. Hey, look at the camera. Go. Ooh, speaking <laughs> of social media, uh, the Jags doing the receipts thing to the yeah. Chargers. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, did you see Body Trevor bag. Lawrence posted the, they had us in the first half, not going to lie. Yeah, no, <laughs> posted the great. meme that yesterday. Yeah, that was, that was solid. Anyway, <laughs> quick break. Let's wrap it up with what we missed. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right. What did we miss? So we mentioned it earlier in the show. CJ McCollum was on the, the CJ McCollum show on ESPN with Ezekiel uh, Arias, and he was talking about the upcoming trade deadline, and he had some interesting comments about the Raptors. I think in terms of what they need or what they're lacking, something's going to happen. I don't know what. There's rumblings about certain players on the team not being happy and due to tampering. I can't speak to that, but I think. So, yeah, CJ essentially says um, the Raptors, they're going to make a move here. How does that impact? I mean, your mindset going into the trade deadline, uh, is it just going to be Gary? Um, it like, CJ played with Gary. Yeah. So they're connecting the dots. Yeah. yeah. It's like, but my thing is, I don't know why Gary Trent would be unhappy. I, I think he's probably getting some information from him pretty mm-hmm. clearly. Like the two of them. Yeah. Like they, they played together. It's not hard to figure out like, yeah. who he would probably talk to from that team. Yeah. Sources say. Yeah. I also love that he's like, there's some rumblings, guys aren't happy, but I won't speak to that because of Tanner. It's like, you already did speak <laughs> you to just that. said it. You already <laughs> you said spoke it. to it just now when you said there are rumblings that guys aren't happy in the locker room. I'm going to guess that you, an NBA player, uh, have some idea as to the validity of these rumblings. I would assume so, yes. I don't know. You got to have half a brain to be watching the Raptors and think this is a team that's love. Everybody loves everybody. Oh yeah. Right 100%. Now. Oh like, yeah. Scotty Barnes pouting every single game, like horrific body language, basically nonstop. Fred yep. is in the media griping about his role. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, 
You can't Vibes read OG. You can't read OG at all. Like, no, but no. Siakam has looked frustrated to me at times. He's looked kind of exasperated. Sometimes when he doesn't get a good whistle, or the Raptors sort of fall apart. Like Nurse just always sounds. Nurse is pissed off in the media. He's talking <laughs> yeah. about like, don't talk about the effort. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, there is some. I think every fan base has just completely delusional, toxic positivity. But there has been some with the Raptors that I saw after they won their two games against Charlotte, and I went, I gotta check off. Yeah, Twitter. this is <laughs> the the people that were going, hey, and now they string the games. Michael Grange just wrote a great piece. You know, Douglas, yeah. he threw it in the group. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he went. This is what the Raptors need to do to get to forty six wins. They gotta go fifteen and one at home, essentially. <laughs> this season, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah Maybe, that's happening. Yeah, the Raptors have to make a trade. Yeah. My only thing is, is been what it's always been is what are the values of these guys? Because every market overvalues their players. Mm-hmm. That's clear. Yeah. Let's not forget Kyle Lowry was going to be traded for two first round picks, Matisse Thybul and Tyrese Maxey at <laughs> yeah. one point. Right. And then it turned out that it was like the Lakers went, we'll give you Taylor Horton, <laughs> Tom, Taylor Tucker, Thompson, Horton, Scott who for Lowry like that. That was the deal. So. I, I love making the fake trades. I think yeah. that if I was a team, I'd be way more aggressive for Fred. But then you watch Fred this week and can't move his lower back. Yeah. He's just stiff. And mm-hmm. him and Gary Trent get... I, I don't know how you can be a playoff team watching those two guys and then Gary Trent and, <laughs> and Fred get absolutely barbecued by Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. Yeah. Where it's like 56 points to, what was it, 15? Yeah, it was right. widespread. And it was just a beatdown. It was like completely different. And then be thinking, God, that's the difference maker. I still think there are so many... Teams just always need shooting. Yeah. And so Fred and Gary are going to have that kind of plus. And mm-hmm. if you can get Fred's defense back on track, which I don't know if you can fully, but some semblance of it, then yeah. there's a higher value there. To me, teams like Denver and Dallas, and there's a couple teams. Dallas, mm-hmm. not so much for Gary, but for Fred. For Fred, for sure. Dallas but sticks out. Denver for Trent would mm-hmm. be a really nice fit for me. Everybody yeah. says that, like, and continues to say that you would get so... that. An, an OG offer would be huge. Yeah, that's the interesting one. And that's, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, that's kind of where, I mean, you're deciding on making pretty significant changes because, you know, everybody loves OG. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, every contending team would want a guy who just plays unbelievable defense and can hit corner threes. I know. The thing is, if you're trading OG, then you're trading Pascal in the offseason. You're going full you're going down. You're going blow up. I just, yeah, I, I just, Well, the thing is, is like, then what are you doing? You're taking all those assets yeah. from OG to try to go get another awesome player to be with Pascal. <laughs> another like, OG? It just, yeah, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't, it doesn't no, make much point. sense. I think that probably, or at least one of the things that's making this decision easier for you, though, is that Barnes has been playing way better lately. For and sure. He's reminding people like, oh, I'm actually really good. Yeah, I've had a really tough start to the season and there's been some real up and downs. And yeah, I would say like I have my criticisms with the body language stuff and the way that he's reacted in some of his mm-hmm. games. But yeah, he's also a 20. I know he's a 21 year old kid. So <laughs> it's not like I'm like, he's a write off. He's a loser. No, yeah. he's maturing. He's going to make mistakes. And I think that some of the mistakes are that he's made have been like they're very public. Yeah, he's been way more aggressive yeah. around the rim, especially. That's no. been the big difference. He's way he is showing yeah. to be the player that everybody thought he was last yeah. year, which makes you realize, you know what? The timeline is probably him. Mm-hmm. As good as Siakam yeah, yeah, yeah. is, it's just yeah. hard to figure how they pivot it. I just, to me, the OG trade that is here right now, it really does have to be that level yeah. of it's Donovan Mitchell. Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're getting three first round picks and a, like a prospect player and a good rotation guy, then you yeah, I'm sorry, it. but you, you kind of have it. to do it. Um, yeah. The question is, what are you getting back for the other two guys? Anyway, uh, what's next? Jay's arbitration. Oh, yeah. uh, they reach deals with a bunch of guys, Vladdy, all all that. But the kind of big question is the guy that they didn't 
reach a deal with, Bo Bichette. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, reportedly, they're like $2.5 million difference between where both sides filed, yeah. one of the bigger kind of gaps. So what do you think this, like, is this a, sign, a bad sign for Bichette's future? And, like, what does this mean? Yeah, it's not a good sign. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, it's, it, is, it is business as usual. Like, a lot of guys file for arbitration, right? Um, I think he was the second biggest gap. Teo was the biggest. Mm-hmm. Teo wanted, what, yeah. 20 and the Mariners offered 16? Yeah. And then this one was... It was 7.5 and 5, so 2.5 million spread. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a big deal in that, oh, Bo will get traded now. Like, no, this everybody knows how baseball works. Guys file for arbitration. It's pretty standard. Yeah. But I do think Bichette is the new Stroman on the team from the standpoint of a guy that will take things extremely personally. Mm. And if you remember when Stroman went to arbitration, he had that tweet and he was like, I'll never forget. And then he downplayed it, which is always so funny when guys (laughs) do that and they go, I'll never let this go. And then the media is like, what did you mean by that? He's like, you guys blow this out of proportion. Crazy media. Look at the crazy media being crazy. The fans like, yeah, crazy media making a big story out of nothing. Um, they say bad things about you in arbitration. That's the point. The team will go out there and use all the horrific defensive metrics that Bo has. And yeah, like they're going to point to all his flaws. And I yeah. just don't imagine that Bo is going to sit there and go, that was cool. I enjoyed that experience. <laughs> this definitely makes me want to be here long-term. Um, my my thought has always been, it's going to be tough to keep Bo Bichette here long-term anyway. It's why that I've always entertained. I've never entertained the idea of Bo trades because I'm like, he sucks. Mm-hmm. I've entertained entertain the idea or the thought experiments of bow trades because it seems unlikely they'll retain him and Vladdy. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, this is just kind of like a little bit of further evidence that that is going to be the case. Do I think it's going to have like an immediate impact on Bo? No. Do I mm-hmm. think that this is all that different? No, but some guys, yeah, will go to arbitration. And when it's a big spread like this and the Jays roll out all their arguments might be, yeah. Uh, indicative of what they think of Bo's future at the position shortstop. And yep. That it is going to be just a little piece of Bo ending up uh, leaving someday. So, yeah, um, kind of in between. What's next? Uh, UFC 285, the return of John Jones. Yeah. Finally, we never thought it was going to happen, but he's going to fight Surreal Gone. Yeah. Uh, and that means Francis Ngannou is now a free agent, free to sign with anyone. Yeah. Do, you think they, do you think they made a big mistake by letting him go? And how excited are you for Bones to finally come back? Well, more so just pissed off that we've missed John Jones on him. Like yeah. a lot of this is John Jones for being such an idiot in his life. <laughs> yes. Uh, but some of it is just the UFC's just inability to properly negotiate with its stars. And yep. Dana White, um, yeah, not refusing to pay people what they're worth. So yep. good for Nganu for being brave, but sucks for fans because who wants to see Nganu box versus actually see him yeah. fight John Jones in the UFC? Like, we were all no waiting bit. for Nganu yeah. Jones. Everybody loses because of the way that Dana White, who says he can't leave the UFC or it'll fall apart, <laughs> the guy who just can't make good fights ever anymore, um, can't lose him. Anyway, uh, I'm excited for John Jones, yep. but he's old. We'll see. Anyway, thanks for listening. Leave five stars. Help me out. Share it. Subscribe. Review. We'll see you tomorrow.